Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome to Wood Talk number 140 for July 17th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about books that inspire us, wood movement in workbenches, cutting dovetails on long boards, and four-quarter versus eight-quarter pricing. Uh, But before we get to all that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Boom. That's where I'm going to put the sponsorship message, yo. Sponsor, sponsor, sponsor. Today's show is supported by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. And by SawStop. SawStop is North America's number one cabinet saw and the world's safest table saw. Visit sawstop.com slash 175 to learn more about the professional cabinet saw model that Matt chose for his basement workshop. Then click on Find a Dealer to see the saw in action near you. <laughs> Let's jump into what's on the bench. Uh, I'll go first. I had a very fun experience yesterday. Um, that's, it's not that I don't normally have fun experiences. This one was just particularly fun. Um, for a Tuesday. It for, yeah, for your average Tuesday. <laughs> I went to Porter Barnwood, and this is a company that has only been serving the public for about a year, and they've been uh, more into the industry and serving pros for a while. Uh, But this has only been about a year, and that's when I became aware of them, but I've never been there. And this is a place down in Phoenix that actually sells a bunch of old barnwood. They get recovered barn material, they get stuff sent to them, they go pick it up, whatever it takes to get the stuff there. And they have some amazing stuff. And, And this is when you realize you truly have gone off the deep end of like being a woodworker is when you could see a pile of what looks like just crap wood and and you know that it's something special or you actually believe it's something special. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know you've got issues. 
Um, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, over the holiday weekend, the Fourth of July holiday weekend to be specific, where we were up visiting friends at their cabin, we're going down this really isolated road, and I was driving, and then suddenly I had this moment where I hit the brakes, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, what happened? An animal run in front of us?" I'm like, "Look at that barn. Look at those <laughs> boards. Nobody is around. It's falling apart." Do you have any like you know crowbars back at the cabin because <laughs> we are off. so coming out here tonight? <laughs> yeah, and that's what's exactly what it is. It's just like barn siding. There's beams. The beams that they have there are just massive, and they they deal a lot with like you know very high end homes in, in like Scottsdale that they just need this this old looking fireplace mantle or something like that. And these right. beams are just perfect for that. So they, they chop them up into smaller pieces. They finish them, make them look real beautiful. Uh, and it's a great thing. I mean, it's repurposing wood that would have, you know, ended up in a landfill or burned or something um, that would have just wasted it. And here it is being repurposed. So um, it was a great trip. I got a, a whole truckload of wood. Um, Shannon, I know you saw that I, I was talking about the mushroom wood, which was really yeah. cool. Yeah, that stuff's <clears throat> funny because it, it's basically just like, excrement wood <laughs> yeah yeah it's really and it's it's so weird to look at and, and i think a lot of times if you're not used to this stuff it could be a little bit off-putting at first um but this is this is kind of what's popular uh, amongst the folks who are oh totally who, yeah <laughs> we're into we've, this stuff we've dabbled in it a little bit mm -hmm. at, at work um and it it's it's tough because it's so specific yeah so you have to sit on some of this inventory forever because yeah. it has so much character Right. That, you know, you have to have just that right mantle or just that right space for it. And um, so we still have a little bit uh, at our Connecticut yard. We actually have a guy up there that kind of we'll consults with us, if you will. But he actually <laughs> goes and takes down the barns. So it's like wow. I'll be talking to one of the guys in Connecticut like, yeah, a barn just went by the window. I'm like, what? <laughs> Go get Literally, it. they like come in with one of those like oversized trailers yeah. and a freaking barn on it. and he is like taking them apart and you get to see just how much work goes into those before it's actually sold to the contractor. Yeah. Yeah. A ton of, a ton of labor and just the way you deal with this stuff has to be by nature different than what we do with, you know, fresh cut wood um, yeah. in terms of bits of metal that are going to be in it. And it's just, it's rough on your tools. So um, interestingly enough, I had gone there to source some material for an outdoor table that Nicole wants the goal of that table was to be built very quickly so that I could move on to another project that I need to get to. And mm, I, I, as sure. soon as I saw this stuff, I was like, this <laughs> is not the fast way. I can tell you that much. Like, <laughs> I need to educate myself on this and be prepared for a project using this material. I'm There's no way in heck I'm going to just dive into it using this stuff. So um, if you do get into it, you definitely do your research. And there's ways of dealing with this material and precautions you need to take. Uh, to make sure that you actually don't destroy your tools or hurt yourself or destroy the wood at the same time. So yeah, it's not very structural either. Yeah. So don't build like high stress applications for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you so so you don't think Matt should make his new um, his new Vanderboo Vanderboo from the, <laughs> the Vanderboo the Vanderboo or whatever you would call it from uh, from Barnwood. Matt's awful. I I think that would be kind of fun. That would definitely be pretty interesting. <laughs> well, tell tell us about this. I saw you post that on Facebook today. So. Well, the big thing is the other day I was uh, waiting, awaiting a delivery to come in from the great folks over at Bell Forest. And uh, they had very nicely, just for complete transparency, because I like to be as transparent as possible, especially, well, I'm not going to go there because I could actually probably get arrested for that transparency. Uh, but they had uh, donated some, mo uh, some money, some, some wood to me during my campaign. <laughs> Here you go, uh, Matt. Here's, <laughs> Here's some money. 
Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> they, yeah, they donated some money and said you're going to get wood with that. Right, <laughs> so, right. anyways, they had donated some some great lumber, and it was it's all maple. It's all all some really big thick boards with the intent purpose that I'm going to make a workbench out of this. So that is the thing. I have suddenly done the. We always laugh about everybody that talks about you know analysis or paralysis by analysis and mm-hmm. how we do it. And I think I've gotten over it, so I'm not so worried about it. And it is back, and it is in full force right now. So <laughs> I've been. Breaking out the uh, the Chris Schwartz workbench book. I've been doing nothing but tons of searches on workbenches. I, in fact, I just bought a plan earlier today. Um, I, I don't know. There's just all sorts of things that I'm looking at, and that was the big question: is like, should I go with the Rubo or should I go with the Hasselfeffer? Hasselfeffer. Or the English style, or should it just be a complete hybrid? And hopefully it stands on its own. Well, the one the one thing I found, and um, I would I would hope this would happen for other folks, is once you read Schwarz's workbench workbench's book, it actually tends to narrow the the playing field a little bit uh-huh. because when you read yeah. and if you buy into some of uh, Chris Chris Schwarz's arguments in what a bench should and shouldn't have, it actually eliminates quite a few designs that just completely take them off the table. Um, so after reading workbenches, I was pretty convinced at, at where I wanted to go with it, and I found that to be a uh, thing that actually just uh, made it all simpler for me. Right, and yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I was looking. In fact, I was looking at some of the plans in there, and I was thinking the same exact thing. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't need something that's really over the top. I, I'm not going to use it for this particular purpose. I'm not going to use it for that. Yeah. I have this thing over, you know, this particular machine or this this setup for you know something completely different. So, yeah, the hard part is like when you when you're doing all this stuff, like really trying to convince that voice that's in the back of your head going, no, you you might need that. You you <laughs> might need this feature. 10, 20 years down the road, so why not build it now? And it's like, uh, don't, don't, don't kill yourself doing this stuff. So it's, it's been very interesting. In fact, I think my coworkers today are like, I'm not sure. I think he's building a workbench or I don't know what he's doing, but I don't want to hear about it anymore. See, but I think that's one of the brilliant things about what Schwarz talks about in his, <clears throat> at least his first book, is all, the, all three of the designs he puts would, puts in there are kind of like blank slate workbenches. Mm-hmm. I've always called it like the chassis. If it's a really strong chassis, then you know you can kind of do whatever. You can add a vice later if need be, or just use a hold fast, you know, stuck through a hole in the leg or whatever. And I think that would apply to the Nicholson, the Rubo, or the Holtzapfel. They're they're all just, you know, rock solid. So yeah. um, you know, I, I don't think you can go wrong there. And you know, any of the hybrid designs that you see now, mm-hmm. you look real close, they're kind of just based off of one of those three chassis well it's funny you say that because that was one of the things as i've been doing these and this has all been in just like the past 24 hours that i've been kind of doing this research and i have noticed that it's it's amazing how similar they are but yet the people that built them will be quick to point out that it's not similar no not even close this is a very unique bench and it's kind of like um if i were to take a transparency of that and hold it up to another picture i think i would recognize where that originally came from yeah well and i'll tell you what if you uh if you're interested in the split top rubo i know a guy who has some videos on them oh that was actually one that was that was a recommendation (laughs) not to follow that oh Oh, yeah (laughs) well actually it's funny because i was looking at that and i was thinking hmm should Mark and I be more matchy matchy, or how <laughs> should? Uh, well, we won't really be. Oh, maybe we will be if give, I do you know this. What? Do the monolithic <laughs> top and just copy everything else from the plan, and then you'll be different. There we go. That that How's should that? do it. So <laughs> while should I, add like a sliding leg vice to it. Yeah, Wait. There you go. Well, oh, oh, never mind. I'm going to add that to the ever growing list. Wait, or it's already on there. 
So, although <laughs> anyways, if, if if you are interested, there is a certain lesson in a certain hand tool school about scalable workbench design in semester three that has a very useful workbench design worksheet PDF attached to that particular video. Oh. You might find that useful. Oh. You have to send me a link for that. I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Okay. <laughs> But anyways, though, so while I still continue my paralysis by analysis, Shannon, now, are you calling it Cotton Candy Cinnamon Stick? What's the name of your little pony? I, is it Fragrance? Is it Cedar? Do you have something else going on there? I, I, I came into the show notes tonight to find that on my What's on the Bench section, apparently I'm playing with my little pony. And I just left it. Because, That's so cute. You know? Yeah. Why fight it? Yeah, I built a basically a bench top shaving horse but i call it a shave pony and no that wasn't my original idea i thought it was and i was really proud about it and then i realized that people have been calling it that for probably a decade so (laughs) um just to kind of go with my little lathe kick um it just needed a quick way to kind of round up stock um you know with a draw knife before i stuck it in the lathe because frankly when you're supplying the horsepower you're not going to spend the extra time to (laughs) cut those corners off right you, you do it as quickly as you can with the, the draw knife. So, and um, I actually just uh, shaped a couple of spring poles for the, the pole lay that I'm building right now and uh, work like a charm. You know, it makes me wonder, am I even going to build a shave horse for my shop? Because it just attaches to the top of the bench with a hold fast through dog holes. And when I'm done, you just whack the hold fast and stack it over in the corner. It's really, nice. it's very, very cool. I like it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Good deal. I like it a lot. All right, uh, moving into Around the Web, I've got a video here that was sent to me by Steve Ramsey from Mere Mortals, and it's, I guess he's doing, I don't know if it's a series he's doing on inspiration, but he was posting a video from Chris Wong from uh, Flare Woodworks, and let's see, we'll put, well, we'll, we've actually begun putting videos right into the show notes just to save you some time, so we'll do that again with this because it is a YouTube video. Uh, but I don't know if you guys saw this, but Chris just kind of walks around to, like a crazy person talking to a camera, um, which is great for us, but hilarious for everyone else who's watching him <laughs> do this. Uh, but he actually kind of lets us into his thought process on the way that he sees the world. Uh, and Chris is someone who has some really imaginative designs, and you could just tell he's thinking about things on a, on a different level than, than the average person does. And he's looking at mundane, man-made, natural, just all different things around his environment that he sees potential for things that may uh, find their way into his future designs. Um, and, and it's very eye-opening to, to see the world that way. Um, very, very cool video, so definitely check that one out. Sweet. Hey, I have another one here that this came in from Eric, and Eric is actually starting to become a regular contributor to our Around the Web. Maybe we should just call it Eric's Around the, with the Web. As <laughs> Eric's, far as I'm Eric's link, yeah. Yeah, so, but anyway, Eric's then in this one, he says, here's a cool 12-minute video. It's a TED Talk by Michael Green, who wants to build a 30-story tall wooden skyscraper, and his philosophy on it is quite compelling. Now, I haven't checked this out yet, but there's a part of me that keeps thinking, if this were to actually happen, we'll... Will 30-foot-tall wooden skyscrapers become tomorrow's uh, barn wood? <laughs> they could be. Yeah, wow. so... That's a lot of wood. Anyway, yeah, so probably, if, you, if you want to check that out. Probably not. I have I have actually seen this. I uh, This was passed to me by one of my work colleagues, uh, I don't know, six months or so ago. They uh, it's, a, it's a wooden skyscraper, but his thing is it's a very engineered wooden skyscraper. Oh. Let's put it that way. They kind of... Um, it's made out of MDF, isn't it? Well, actually, it <laughs> might they're going to start competing with uh, IKEA for using up one percent of the wood. They go. make 
kind of like plywood where you manufacture different layers. They make like big building blocks mm. um, with this kind of honeycomb structure. And then they show up and stack them up and make a skyscraper. Weird. So, so it's it's wood, but not the way we're thinking about wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not a stick framed, timber framed type <laughs> right. thing. No, not so much. I have to listen. But to that. I mean, I, his his philosophy is very cool. It's it's worth a look because the same thing really would 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 Da-da-da. would apply. Nice. <laughs> well, maybe they can use those wood batteries from that Maryland uh, University study from last week to uh, help drive oh, those. Seriously. Yeah. It's wood yeah. talk. We're predicting the future That's everywhere. Right. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Who needs um, Ted? We've got quite a bit of kickback, and I pared this down as, as good as I could, but we still have quite a few. So this is where you guys get to tell us things that we said that were wrong and correct us and also <laughs> whatever <laughs> uh, chime into the conversation and uh, tell us what you were thinking about something that we talked about in the past. We'll start off here with a little note from Stan. And yeah, by the way, we are skipping poll of the week because I was too lazy to post it on the website, but Tom, <laughs> Tom is diligent about it and I always screw up. So, okay. Stan says, I was just listening to show number 113. Shannon and Mark were talking about the Charles Brock Maloof inspired chair. And I take umbrage with the notion that Sam Maloof quote-unquote, invented the sculpted chair. Professionally, I'm a chef, and I'm, I was always taught that if you take one element of a recipe and change it, then it is your original recipe. Art tends to repeat itself. Sure, people come up with new media or new techniques, but in the long run, art does come in a circle. Maloof's designs were unique and beautiful. However, they are not his own original inspiration. I've read an article in the current issue of Popular Woodworking, it's issue number 124, about Wharton Eschrick. Eschrick's designs are clearly the inspiration for the sculpted design made famous by Sam Maloof. Clearly, Maloof was inspired by his work. It just gets me twisted when people put their artwork out there and make a claim for a style or genre, or the estate does. Yes, there are certain artists who have a unique style that is all their own, or it is what they are famous for. However, if you study these artists, even the greats like Dolly, you'll find that their individual point of inspiration, and oftentimes the inspiration comes from another artist's work. What if Eschrick's estate were to go after Maloof's estate for copying the designs? Uh, if you let this happen to the art world, then there will not be any growth of a concept and style. Um, thanks for that. You're here. Well, thanks yeah. for that, Stan. Well but, said. But I do have a little bit of an issue with this. Because Ooh, here's the thing. I don't, know, I don't know much about Eschrick, but I did a little digging and I just kind of was like doing an, an image search. What I wanted to see was if Eschrick had applied his clearly he does like the sculpted flowing sort of thing that makes a maloof chair a maloof chair but did he do that in a rocker did he make a rocker that looks like maloof's rocker or did maloof take this concept this sculpted concept and apply it to a rocker with the long uh, rails on the bottom and the sculpted uh, the sculpted seat in the back that just feels like you know a dream when you sit in it did he do that because by stan's own words he says as a chef if you take an element and you just change one thing, you can call it your own original. If that's the case, then why can't Maloof's estate make the argument that this is his original recipe? So when someone copies that original recipe, it is copying. You know what I mean? So I'm not, I don't want to defend either side because we always come down firmly on the fence on issues like this because, <laughs> you know, there is a little bit of an ethical debate to, to be had here, but I don't know that I completely agree with Stan's point because I think he actually sets an argument up against himself by saying that changing one element makes it 
an original recipe. And then he says that, you know, that Maloof did not have the original inspiration. Well, there's a difference between inspiration and the final outcome of that inspiration. What we're talking about is the outcome, not the inspiration itself. So I still stand by what we said. I still think that there is possibly an argument to be made uh, against folks who make deliberate copies of that one design. Hmm. Sorry. I, are we supposed to kick back the kickback? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's, it is interesting because when you bring that up, I just realized that he almost kind of contradicts himself. I mean, I, I get where he's going. Yeah, I see. Um, I totally see if, what he's saying. And if, the, he were, if he were on the show explaining, he probably wouldn't, you know, mm-hmm. in print, it's a little black and white. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the thought that there's actually any original anything somebody was inspired by somebody yeah well and and ultimately isn't this why um people can make these chairs and then sell plans for them and they're not in jail right because you Mm -hmm. can that's the whole point you can the question we have to decide or the question we have to answer is should we um and, and that's we're again only asking the question we're not trying to answer that question that's up that's up to you to decide personally i think that like wooded path that chris wong was walking on needs to like go after chris wong for stealing its designs <laughs> seriously those ferns were ticked it's off. like how dare you sir take yeah. my design speaking of which though i have a really killer recipe that's like a unique old family recipe if you take macaroni and add cheese to it Awesome. I'm going to try Whoa. that. And then I'm going to try it. I'm going to put try it in it. a box and you then I'm going to sell me? it. I, I can. I can. It's an ancient Rogers family recipe. Nice. nice. Cool. Nice. All right, Matt, you're up. All right. Well, this one comes in from Mark, and it's not our Mark. This not is me. Mark McKay. And you know what? He has uh, several interesting points in here. So everybody, you know, grab yourself a nice little drink and get ready to have your mind blown. All right, here we go. Mark says, I have spent the last four months listening to Every Wood Talk episode, I feel like I have come to know you guys, and it has been an interesting journey cramming five years of shows into four months. And here's a summary of some of the things I've learned and seen your point of view change on. One, the saw stop is a gimmick. Two, the saw stop may have merit. Matt owns a saw stop, which is number three, but wishes it had a granite top for his beverage. I do. I really, really do, especially the other day when it was hot. And I needed something that was going to quench my thirst. Did you tell? What about did a cup you? Uh, holder? What I was cup just darn it. I was just going to say you've got the connection with Saw Stop now. You should suggest the cup holder. No, for that's got to go in the for fence. Your there you go. That would be awesome in the fence. The fence comes with a cup holder. Perfect. That would be cool. Nice upgrade. All right. I could just see it. I could just see a video now of Matt like ripping a board through there, and he reaches over and picks a cup and takes a drink. Ah, I need some refreshment. Well, it That's should have an automatic drink. like hood that goes over the top once you engage it, so that way the sawdust doesn't go in there. And as soon as it's done, it just you know pulls back, and you can grab your drink, nice, safe, and sound. There you go. There you All right, go. number right, four. Yeah. Mark thinks kids don't belong in the shop. Five. Mark has a kid. Uh, Let's see, we're six. Is that the number I was on? All right, we'll just keep on going. The kid's name is Mateo, and we have video of him running through dad's shop. (laughs) Next, Shannon hates his lathe. Next, Shannon bought some easy tools. Uh, We'll move on to Shannon loves his lathe and is building it some friends. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also learned that Mark and Matt have a knitting fetish. Yes. Not so much a fetish, I think, at least, as a paranoia. Well, we're almost like creating a hate group against knitting. (laughs) <laughs> and you always you always create groups against the people that you most admire and yes, want to be. Yes. Yeah. All right. Secret. And then the last thing is I have learned much more than this, but just thought I would throw out the ones that stuck in my head the most. So, Mark, thanks for that little trip down memory lane. Yes. And I did pare that down again just because uh, it was pretty long. But thanks, I was thinking Mark. I'm like, there's a lot more things in that list the last time I looked. Yeah, I pulled a few out. Um, all right, Shannon, you're up. Uh, Tom Buell 
had something to say about episode 138. Um, apparently, I had mentioned uh, Jeffrey Green's American period furniture. He says that sounds a lot like Green's American furniture of the 18th century, which is probably what it's actually called. I, I don't know what it's <laughs> called. Man. Just look up Jeffrey Green. Go to theballandclaw.com. That's his website. There you go. Uh, a friend of mine bought it and gave it to me. As Shannon said, it's a great historic reference as well as a behind-the-curtains look at major pieces. Not my favorite style at the time, but the design, workmanship, and wood itself is stunning. Thanks, mm-hmm. Tom. Thanks, Appreciate Tom. Nice. that. Tom's always got some good stuff to suggest and point in our direction. Yeah, he do. Sweet. Uh, all right, you're next, Matt. All right, this one comes in from Pete, and Pete says, I know this is behind the discussion, but I need to share what happened when my father tried to make sawdust-based fire starters. <laughs> he borrowed nice. one of my this mom's. Good. <laughs> this is a really good one. So, again, get yourself all set, folks. You're going to have a great story. So uh, Pete's dad borrowed one of my mom's Pyrex pans and filled it with the sawdust slash wax mixture. He cut into squares and set it out in the porch to cool. Enter my aunt, dropping in for an impromptu visit. She saw a Pyrex dish filled with brownish squares. It may look like fudge, but sawdust and wax does not fudge make. Uh, we kept the square <laughs> with her teeth marks in it for years. Now that's that's awesome. That is awesome. That's, <laughs> that's as good that's as it fantastic. gets. That's can, a great idea. I can go for some little brown squares right now. Mm. Okay, the last one we have here is from Jonathan. He says, one of my go-to books for projects, and I guess this is in reference to a couple shows ago we talked about our favorite books, uh, was Illustrated Guide to Choosing and Installing Hardware by Robert Sedich. And I guess that's a Taunton publication. Uh, Choosing and Installing Hardware seems to be a little talked about topic, and this is the book that I always consult before a project that will require hardware, and we'll put a link to that on Amazon if you want to pick that one up. Very cool. I'd never heard of that before. Me neither. Mm, No. Um, Okay, and let's move on to our voicemail. We actually do have one. Uh, The beginning was a little garbled, so I cut it off, but let's just call him Dude from Michigan. (laughs) I have a question for you guys. Love your show. I have been looking at building a venture for quite a while, and I've sort of put it off, put it off, put it off until I understood what I wanted. I think I know what I want. I I have 24 pieces of what appears to be white oak that came in from heavy machinery um, a couple years ago. So it's pretty dried out and acclimated. And uh, what I've done milling it should be three inches by three and a half by 38 inches. I'd like to use it for a bench that's going to be roughly six foot by 30 inches wide. And I'd like to construct the top using a laminated glue and just sort of staggering the, the joints at the end of the, each one of these. Do you guys see a problem uh, using that laminated type construction? This wood is very uh, has very tight growth rings and it's, man, this stuff is heavy. I mean, it is very heavy, but... Uh, I rough milled it out about two weeks ago just to kind of get it rough squared. And so far, it really hasn't moved at all, maybe a 30-second or a 60. Anyways, thanks a lot for your help, and I uh, look forward to uh, your next show. Yeah. All right. So do you guys 100% understand? It sounds He's doing a bench top, and he's mm-hmm. is he talking about because they're not long enough, he wants to do almost like that gym floor staggered yeah. thing like a cutting board almost yeah that's what i was wondering i was trying to figure that i was just going to ask you guys the same exact question i do have to point out the beginning of that that garbly sound that is a traditional michigan uh greeting <laughs> like, so there's nothing wrong with that I can I'm totally like, hi i'm from michigan <laughs> <laughs> that's great i like it um well if he's just just to make sure it's absolutely clear 
Um, if he were just doing full-length boards and gluing them together, of course, we all know that's okay. That's what we do to make mm-hmm. smaller boards into bigger boards. And if he's talking about staggering it like that, where there's actually butt joints uh, inside the bench itself, I don't see any problem with that. I mean, if he wanted to, he could add some kind of reinforcement. But with so much long grain contact on both sides of each board, that little gap, that like microscopic gap between that the uh, where the end grain is going to be touching the next board, I don't know how much that even matters at that point. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, if if you, I think if you support that butt joint on either side, yeah, you know, by staggering it, I mean, isn't that? I, I think glue lambs are like end to end long grain. Yeah. But you can go to Home Depot and buy a panel that looks like that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I don't so. think there's anything wrong with it. Go for it. Sounds like you got a good, you know, either got it cheap or, or um, uh, free. So <laughs> why the heck not? If it's the <laughs> Both only thing are will, great prices that I like. Yeah. And the only thing I will say is if you're dealing with these squares, do make effort to orient your grain so that uh, preferably if you're looking at the bench top in its finished, finished position, have the grain running vertically uh, for the most stable uh, orientation possible. And I think you'll be happy with the results there. And not to add to his, because I know Matt's going through this now, but <laughs> I might, might possibly, I don't know what kind of work he does, but I might possibly rethink the 30-inch width. Having worked on a uh, bench that wide before, it gets really, it's too wide. If you can't I, reach I, across I it comfortably, it, it, it ends up with a lot of wasted space. Maybe he's and, uh, very monkey-like and is very yeah, long he arms. could be. He could be, you know, enormous arms. And it's also, if he's more of a kind of a pure power tool user if he if he's going to do it 30 inches wide then make it so you can get to all four sides of the bench yeah because he yeah. might be double double dipping as a uh, assembly surface or something like that too yeah if it's up against a wall you'll find that getting over to that 30 inch all mm-hmm. across that 30 inches is something that actually uh, could be a little bit more difficult than you think and keeping that's, it flat over the years oh well, yeah there is that that's that's exactly what i'm kind of wrestling with right now that was another idea of when I was looking at the bench design is I'm like, I do not want something nearly as wide as what I have right now. And it's about 30 inches. And I, I absolutely hate it for all the reasons that we, we just mentioned here. It's if I drop something on that end, I'm like, Aiden, you come <laughs> over and help me. <laughs> Can you use some help? Uh, all right. So that's it for our voicemail. We're going to move into emails. And the first thing we're going to talk about is a question from two weeks ago where we talked about some of our favorite or what we consider must-have books. And we decided that there were two sides to that story. One is, you know, for technical information, and the other is books that we would want around just for inspiration purposes. So that's what we're going to talk about this week are the things that inspire us, the books we read for inspiration. So I'll kick it off. I have a few. I mean, this is something that it's impossible for me to narrow down to just one or two. And and this is also a list that changes over time, depending on what I'm interested in and what I'm reading about. So uh, Green and Green, everybody knows for the most part that uh, that's one of my favorite things to learn about. So I really enjoy Daryl Peart's books on Green and Green. He has two design elements for the workshop and then projects and details for the woodworker. Uh, that one actually just came out recently. So both are available on Amazon. Great, great books if you want to get into green and green. And there is a lot of technical stuff in there as well uh, to show you how to do this stuff. Uh, on the I green, haven't looked at the second one. I need to pick that up. It's good. It's good. A lot. It's a lot more. It is more focused on the techniques than the first one is. The first one gives you some uh, a little more historical tidbits and things like that. This one is very specific. We're we're talking about how you do these things that I incorporate into the green and green projects. Um, Okay, the other one is another green and green one, and this is a little bit more of your coffee table style book, but it is packed with great information. 
Um, it's Green and Green Furniture, Poems of Wooden Light by David oh, Matthias. Great book. So good, so good. And if you if you're if you're really new to Green and Green, this is one you want to pick up because this is going to show you why people like me are crazy about it. Why <laughs> we like it so much. It just gives you an appreciation for the the beauty and the masterful design that's behind everything that's in these green and green ultimate bungalows. Uh, Definitely a great read. And the final thing is more of a collection of books, uh, but it's fine woodworkings design books. And they, they used to make these very big black and white books. And I don't even know how, what the availability is on those anymore, but you can currently buy design book eight in the Taunton store. And it's a 2195. These are just books highlighting. It's like, it's almost like a book full of, um, of what they put in their galleries, only they, they give you a little bit more information about those projects. So if you're ever just you know short on inspiration, you can crack this thing open and just see hundreds of ideas that you would go, that one little element, that could be uh, you know the start of, an, of my next great project. Um, it's, there's no shortage of great stuff in this book. So um, any of the fine woodworking design books are just absolutely great for that stuff. So how about you guys? Well, Shannon, why don't you go next? Okay. Um, if, you, if you could narrow it down to just a few, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I have more of these it's, books than I do of like the like the how to woodworking books. Yeah. Well, then pick, pick three. Pick three. Um, definitely, basically anything made or published by Winterter, the whatever they call it, the Winterter Press. There's a, a furniture of the Queen Anne and Chippendale period. It's a huge book but it's basically it's one of those typical museum type books where it's a lot of pictures mm-hmm. of of furniture of that style and what's always cool about them is they usually give dimensions at least the outer dimensions so it actually gives you a starting point if you wanted to design that piece of furniture yourself Sweet. you know that it's 76 inches tall so you can actually use the image to scale everything else from there because you've got a fixed reference point those are really really cool nice. um, furniture of the Renwick Gallery Another great coffee table book, but in a totally like polar opposite direction from Queen Anne and Chippendale. It's all studio furniture. There's a lot of Escherich stuff. There's um, um, what's his name? The oh man, the guy that make the ghost clock. That guy. I just totally blanking on his name. I don't know. Patrick Swayze. Ghost <laughs> clock. Google. Oh, ghost I know what clock, I'm talking sorry. about. That guy. Um, a <laughs> lot of lot of modern. Uh, furniture. Um, it's just it's just totally off the wall. Really, really cool stuff. Um, and then probably the last one, not so much from a kind of, well, yeah, fair amount of inspiration, uh, Nakashima's Soul of a Tree. Just really, really well written. Um, a great read, lots of cool pictures, but again, you know, totally very different design sense, very different design style. Hmm. Very nice. How about you, Matt? Well, we're going to be here a while. Mad so Magazine um, and... Uh, I actually, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> I, you know, we, we get, I kind of alluded to this last time we brought this topic up and I've... I've Wendell Castle, this, that's his name. Wendell Castle, I just remember. Oh, Sorry. why didn't you say Wendell Castle before? That, <laughs> yeah, that was going to kill me. Patrick Swayze is nowhere close to Wendell Seriously, Castle. what are you thinking? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> that's all right. Because um, really, you're not interrupting much. You know, like I said before, I, I've alluded that when it comes to inspiration and design <laughs> and stuff like that, apparently, I, I'm just a complete dud because I don't really have like things that suddenly I'm like, oh my god, this is my this this is my rock. This is what I go to when I I need you know uh, to to be re inspired and everything else. I just 
I don't know. There's just something about me that I, I don't. I, I, I Inspiration comes from the weirdest places, and apparently books is not one of them. <laughs> so um, <laughs> for whatever that's worth. But one book I, I really do enjoy, and I have turned for it to a, for, for numerous reasons, and it's Jim Tolpin's Woodworking Wit and Wisdom. Uh, I, yes. I, I love this book because he's, he's really funny in here. There's some, some great stuff. It's little tidbits. Uh, it, it's almost like kind of like, well, for the – it is more or less a uh, a master woodworker kind of pointing out some hilarious things from his past, some do's and don'ts. It'd be the type of thing like if you if you had a really good woodworking buddy who you sat down and you maybe got him loaded with a few drinks and then they started telling you funny stories that they probably normally wouldn't admit. Um, nice. That's what I, I kind of get from this. But at the same time, these funny little quips you actually do end up kind of closing the book and going, okay, now I know not to do that. Or I have done that in the past, and I'm glad to see I'm not the only moron that did something like that. So it is one of those things where this might help actually with my paralysis, uh, analysis paralysis kind of thing going on with the workbench right now is there are plenty of things where it's, I think the underlying story is stop thinking idiot and just do it. (laughs) That's half the time. That's that's what we need to tell ourselves, I think. Um, <laughs> well, my oh. wife has no problem reminding me of that, so <laughs> I should just turn to her, and she could be my inspiration. Like, what do I need to do today? Stop thinking, idiot. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> Dude, today was one of those days for me. I really needed to get into the shop. I had time to do it, and I just couldn't tear myself away from a video game. Oh, lazy, oh, lazy. darn yeah. technology. Exactly. All right, moving into our actual email this week. Uh, I'll go first here. Uh, who is this from? Where's the name? All the way at the end. Boy, that's long. Where is it? Is it Jonathan? Yeah. No, that's no that yours. one's mine. You stay away from mine. Oh, yours okay. is Baron. Oh, we gotta, Baron. I got to make these notes look better. This is not clear at all. Baron, okay. Uh, looking at Vix Island that Mark posted this week brought up a question. That's a, um, a viewer project on the Wood Whisperer website. Um, it brought up a question I've wondered about for some time. When we built the split top Ruba, we glued a bunch of one, uh, one and three quarter by four inch boards together along their faces. In other words, the edge, not the end grain, is what we're looking at when we look down the top. So shouldn't any significant wood movement in the top be in a vertical direction, not side to side? And if so, is an attachment of the frame less complicated? In other words, do, you know, not having to allow for movement with slotted bolt holes and things like that. I have a bunch of narrow boards that I'd like to glue up for a top for a small table and wondered if I oriented the strips like the Rubo, could I frame it with a mitered frame or should I stick to breadboards? Okay, that's a really good question and... I remember there were times early on when I would look at workbenches, and specifically David Mark's workbench, where he's got a, a dovetailed apron that's glued in. And you look at that and you go, how is that not <laughs> separating or causing a problem as that top expands and contracts? And I think you are onto something, Baron, with the orientation of the grain, it does lessen the impact of movement from front to back that you would normally see if it was just uh, oriented in, in, I guess you could say, the flat sawn direction. The thing is, it does still move. It's just not going to move nearly as much as it might otherwise. So it's still, for a hunk of material, like a workbench, something that's that big, you really do still need to be, you know, think about the fact that that is going to expand and contract. Um, and it's really not that hard to, to make allowances for wood movement, especially with a you know, workbench where you're just driving bolts up through a couple of aprons and into the top. Um, it doesn't take much effort to do that, so why not do it? Um, but ultimately, it is still something you have to be concerned about. It's just not as big of an issue. And that's why we can sometimes get away with that and, and break the rules a little bit, um, depending on your climate and the conditions and the wood itself. You know, some people will be able to successfully wrap 
a, a board like that. The thing is with the dimension he's talking about, I wouldn't even think about wrapping it with miters. That that just makes me nervous no matter what. Um, uh, if you guys have anything to add to that, if not, uh, we can go on to Matt. Nope, I no, like I don't really have anything else to add to it. I think I think you said it very nicely. Well, thanks, Matt. All right. Well, in that case, I'm going to move on to mine. Who is actually? It's Jonathan this time, since you were trying to steal my question, <laughs> was. Or my, my questioner. Jonathan was asking, I'm about to start on a piece with a carcass that is 72 inches wide and 14 inches tall. It will be made of solid wood, and I will use through dovetails in the corners. Usually I hand cut the tails first, but on this piece, I'm thinking of cutting the pins on the top and bottom pieces first, since they will be the most awkward to work with. I'm also wondering how to clamp the top and bottom pieces while I saw them, because I just can't clamp them vertically in my leg vise. With a top and bottom so long, how would you go about cutting the dovetails? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to include a, a link to a little snippet from uh, Tommy McDonald's show in which he had a woodworker who does a really unique thing with his dovetail saw, which is he works kind of like upside down, completely backwards from what you would think you would do. And the reason I'm going to do that is because my suggestion to Jonathan is what I would end up doing is while this is probably going to be extremely awkward and you're really going to have to maybe take more time than you normally would. I'm probably more than likely going to take my piece. I'm going to clamp it down onto my workbench. And rather than obviously working in the traditional manner that I'm going to do with the dovetail where the dovetail is directly in front of me and I'm moving my saw back and forth on the horizontal, I'm actually going to turn it so that my saw is now going to be working on the vertical, if that makes sense, if I put enough visual picture in there. And by doing this, um, my suggestion is going to be, and this is what I would do for myself, rather than maybe making my cuts as close to the edges as I normally would, I'd probably leave a little extra room in there and plan on coming back in with my chisels and cleaning up to my lines I think it's going to create a lot more work for you, but with something this big, I think you're going to get better results from it. At least this is how I would definitely be tackling it. Uh, it's a really unique situation with the size that you have there, but I, I still think if you plan ahead with this, kind of leave a little waste in there and come back in and pare it down, you'll get the results that you're looking for. And again, that's the video that I'm going to, the link we're going to leave in here. Um, he ends up working very similar to this. It's just that he has a really unique way of holding that that uh, dovetail saw. Hmm. So, cool. you know, how about I you ran guys? into this. I ran into this when I was building my um, Rubo because I had to half blind dovetail that front laminate of the top into the end cap. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was an eight foot long piece with two big old dovetails on the end. You and, need to get uh, a ladder out and just climb to the top of your sturdy voice. And <laughs> actually, I did. Um, well, no, not that exactly. I live in a split level house. So when you come in my front door, there's, you know, big, tall ceiling there. So I clamped the board to the to the wall, essentially to the railing up top, <laughs> went upstairs and cut it. Nice. So, well, but if you have like a deck off, off the back of your house or something like that, just run it over the side, clamp it to your balusters and saw it right there on your deck. There you go. Interesting. Thinking outside I actually, the box. I think I filmed it. I think it's in one of my Rubo videos. I, I'd have to look. I mean, that was what, four years ago or so. So, mm-hmm. would you mind if Jonathan came over in case his deck or something is it that tall? Could he borrow your, <laughs> sure. your entryway? Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can borrow my foyer. Slick. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Anybody else? Mark, you have any? I would just put my dovetail jig on my roof <laughs> and uh, clamp it in place and go to town. 
I wonder if you could just feed it into your bandsaw. Do like a bandsaw dovetail instead. Forget this whole hand tool thing. That's um, you know, that's actually what I did uh, to to really kind of accomplish already. the same thing that Shannon's talking about. That's the whole concept of the what what was it that Jamil called it the condor tails method? Oh yes, oh, yeah. is mm-hmm. to utilize the bandsaw to do it. That's how I do it. So I mean, obviously horizontal as long as you've got enough room in front, and well, you really only need it in front of the bandsaw. Um, you can make those cuts no problem. Right. You know, have you ever had any other – I'm going to totally hog this for a second here. Have you ever had any other joinery where you've really had to kind of think out of the box on how to do this? You yeah, know, I mean, and- it's just there, – there's been a few other things I can think of, like where there's a mortise where suddenly I'm like, oh, my gosh, the position it's in, <laughs> I'm actually going to have to stand it upright and hold the – you know, if I'm going to do it by a router, uh, the router in a completely awkward position, which I hope I won't make another visit to the emergency room in this position. <laughs> you know, honestly, most of my awkward joinery questions are – fairly easily answered by the domino. You know what I mean? (laughs) Honestly, when there's something that's like, well, you know, if I do it with my router, then I got to do this with a jig. And, or if I do with the domino, like, again, I know a lot of people are are down on it because it does make things so easy, but uh, it really is pretty awesome. So, and I There's would that. totally go for that. In fact, I would be contacting you saying, Mark, what's the shipping costs on you to send that to me? <laughs> we do an overnight thing so you can get it back tomorrow. That sounds reasonable. All right, <laughs> Shannon, right. you are up. Let's see. This is a message from Rick. He says, I don't recall the episode, but uh, Shannon was discussing orders for exotics, not exotic to Michigan. Um, you Michiganders. <laughs> That's you maple, crazy right? Bunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Exotic. He maybe. mentioned. Uh, let's see. He mentioned that U.S. mills ordering four quarter was a special order for those mills, meaning the the African mills. I think is what he's referring to. They usually mill eight quarter to twelve quarter, causing a change and a special run just for the American market. It would seem that this would increase cost, actually causing four quarter babinga to be more expensive than eight quarter babinga. Obviously, this is not the case. Is the pricing an American thing? Well. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, with a but. Um, part of it is, uh, first of all, what what a lot of us as woodworkers don't see is the actual cost of the lumber, and you probably don't want to know how close those are in cost. They're very, very close. Uh, eight quarter is still more expensive, but not by much. Um, the retail price, however, uh, it's a slightly larger gap, and that is um, that is a pricing thing. Um, I think you will probably be very, very upset if you learned just how little, how much, how a little, how little more uh, eight quarter actually costs. I knew it. <laughs> However, um, because of the fact that it is a special run, and you can dedicate, you know, a certain amount of time at that mill to running four quarter. If you offer as the buyer to buy that whole run, you can get a really good price on it. And then the cost is much more what you would think it would be um, that would be more parallel to the actual retail cost. Hmm. Um, I know that's how we do business. Um, it just doesn't make sense for us to bring half a container over from Africa, um, but we'll buy nine containers all at once. Um, in, in that way, then you know the entire day's run or the, however long it takes them to do that, uh, we buy the whole thing at once, and then they can make you know they can justify it. They're not shutting down and not making something else at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that you can change that. But for the most part, um, twelve quarter is a different story. Twelve quarter is significantly more expensive, but there's very little difference in cost between four quarter, five, six, and eight quarter lumber. So, darn it, hurry! I knew it. <laughs> I, I suddenly had the image that this sounds like. Um, 
in the lumber world, this is the equivalent of the soda pop factor at a restaurant. It costs them <laughs> so little for it, and yeah. they make so much off of it. Like two fifty for a soda. Exactly. <clears throat> no refills. Now, now or in I Michigan, should, I should clarify. I should clarify that this is not fully seasoned wood either, and eight quarter takes longer to dry. So somewhere in the mix, it's working itself out. Yeah. It, yeah. it takes more. I mean, it's heavier. It costs more to ship it. You have to be, you know, spend more time in the kiln, taking up more time from other lumber in the kiln. So probably it comes out in the wash. But yeah, it's... Uh, too late. You already said it's cheaper. That's the only thing in my mind. Doesn't matter how much more you justify, you are stealing from me. I, I can hear my, I can hear my import buyer going, backpedal, backpedal, <laughs> pull up, pull up. Well, you know, this guy at least, needs to uh, be removed from the show, or we're going to fire him. From from the the purchases that I've made in the past, I actually don't notice too big of a difference between them even in the retail price it's not like astronomically more expensive 20 to 30 cents yeah so it's so it's really it is pretty close anyway um it's not that big big of a a difference there but all right hey did you guys know that if you go into itunes that you can click onto the itunes store you could look up wood talk and click on ratings and reviews and then you can actually leave a review for our show did you know that wait no when did this start well it's been that way for like 10 years now but but if you want you can go there and you can uh you can say that you heard shannon was a brony and you can make suggestions for his pony uh (laughs) names for his pony like cotton candy and cinnamon stick i like cinnamon (laughs) stick it totally just sticks right with the whole woodworking Uh, theme it's just so funny because i was just reading that article nicole tweeted about about don't be don't be a brony oh the bronies yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting stuff. So, you know, I haven't gone in to look at all of them, but can you see every review that's been left since the beginning of yes. Wood Talk? Yes, unless like iTunes does something weird where they delete reviews, which I've had happen in the past for unknown reasons. But yeah, they should all be there from the beginning of we time. Need to, we need to research this because I'm pretty sure way back when, before I joined the show, I left a review. Oh, so we have to look for we it. We need to find that. Oh, we got to see that. I have no idea what I said. I think your show would be greatly improved by adding one more person <laughs> with a focus on hand tools. What do you think? You know what? Even if it doesn't say that, that's what it's going to say. <laughs> yeah, because you can change reviews, right? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go find that. Oh, crap. Let's read that. Uh, let's read it next week, actually, if you can find it. Yeah, be I right. hope somehow we don't get like dinged because of, you know one of the hosts is leaving a comment. That seems kind Seriously, of biased. You watch. <laughs> That's a little fishy. Yeah. All right. Well, we'd like to thank uh, – this is not our name for him. This is what he called himself. Wood Talk Online Groupie and also William Davis for leaving us five-star reviews in iTunes. And uh, William had this to say. He said, besides being an informative and highly entertaining podcast, the guys are truly helpful. Late last night, I emailed in a question, and first thing this morning, there was an answer. Not just a yes or no answer, but one that required research. So this pod is well worth the listener's loyalty. And, and once again, like I had said to William, I am more than happy to take credit for Matt's hard work. Hard work I was going to say, that had to be Matt. <laughs> that was all Matt. <laughs> well, in, I, in all I, honesty, I, Matt's usually the first of the three of us to reply. Yeah. So usually Mark and I are just like, ah, Matt got it. Yeah, it's, that's good. <laughs> Even when Matt's it's usually like 24 hours after that, though, then there's the, oh, wait a minute. I actually did real research and I was wrong. So ignore the first one. <laughs> My favorite is when Matt like throws it to us a little bit and he goes, you know, maybe maybe Shannon has something or maybe Mark has something to add to this. And it's like, you just hear crickets because <laughs> we, we just uh, didn't pay attention to it. But no, Matt, Matt does a fantastic job of uh, sort of just filtering the email and putting everything into the show notes for us. And then I go in and organize it from there. So um, right. if you get a quick response, most likely it's going to be from Matt. 
Right. And and sometimes it may actually be correct. <laughs> Maybe. You just can't trust the advice. It comes quickly. It just might not be right. Yeah, I've, I've got to learn not to shoot from the hip. It gets me in more trouble than you won't believe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just a reminder that today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and SawStop at SawStop.com. And if you want to, you could set up a recurring donation or a one-time donation to help three brothers out so that we can keep this show going. You can do that at woodtalkshow.com. Look in the left-hand column, and you'll see a couple of links there where you could do just that. And we always appreciate it when folks do it. So thank you to everyone who has set up a recurring donation. That's really awesome. Should we have a level at which they get to name uh, Shannon's Little Pony? (laughs) Yes, that'll be a bonus. (laughs) Oh, totally. Oh, that's great. $2 level. At the $2 level... Yes, Two dollar a day level, level for the next ten years, <laughs> payable all at once. There you go. All right, Matt. How about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right, folks. Hey, do you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion? You know how to get a hold of us. There are several different ways. You can even leave us a voicemail, which starts out something like eh, eh, Michigan, and you can do that <laughs> on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online, or you can call our voicemail line at six two three two four two five one eight zero. Hey, don't forget you can email us at woodtalkonline at gmail dot com. And you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And we look forward to hearing from you because, well, we just do. Yeah, we do. And, and I'll tell you what. Uh, first of all, thanks for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. But I'm going to go on Netflix and see if I can find Patrick Swayze's Ghost Clock. <laughs> it's such a good movie. I think it's the follow-up. Because <laughs> that sounds great to me. Hopefully he's yeah, wearing no shirt. pottery, they do woodworking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. It's, it's right. the prologue. Yeah. Have a great uh, woodworking week, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. See you. Bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 